And she came home and I was like, listen, we're not going out to eat anymore. You're not going shopping anymore. Like, you're done. Cut up everything, all your cards. Give me your purse. <laughs> like, you're done. That's it. Like, And uh, honestly, that went over terribly. Welcome to The Fi Show, where you get a behind-the-scenes look into financial independence. Here's your host, Cody and Justin. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of The Financial Independence Show, where today we're going to be re-airing one of our top three episodes of all time with our good friends, James and Emily, who went from nothing to financial independence in less than two years. But before we get into that, let me check in with my co-host, Justin. What is going on, man? Hey, Cody. Yeah, I mean... Most listeners probably don't know, but one of the hardest things we do is remembering what we did the weekend we just came out of, because I feel like we both travel so much that we were like, man, what was, what was this weekend? But I think this is finally one that we both should have no problem remembering, because uh got to come up to your neck of the woods and celebrate, you know, have your like your wedding celebration. Like, I know you technically got married in Bali, but this was like the more formal version of it. And funny enough, we also got to go with James and Emily. So like me and Leslie and James and Emily got an Airbnb to come up and celebrate it with you. And from there, I kept the travel going. It was a great time, but I had to go straight from there to New York for work. So it's it's fun being back in New York. Leslie lived here for a few years, and I would mega bust my way up here from Boston back in the day. Now I'm getting to enjoy it in a little bit nicer way, right? I get to fly in, get to stay in a hotel, not uh, trekking in on the mega bus. But it's awesome to, to kind of get back and see some of the old stuff and go to some of the old restaurants we used to go to. Um, so all in all, it's been an awesome kind of couple of weeks going from Vegas to your wedding, now to New York. I guess I could ask, like, what were you up to? But like I said, I think I kind of <laughs> know, but let's let the listeners hear your take on it. Yeah, I was going to ask you, when does your kind of travel extravaganza end? Is it New York back to Austin? It is New York back to Austin, but kind of with an asterisk, um, we get back to Austin, <laughs> but then we're going to go probably just that next morning, like a Saturday morning to just a couple hours away from Austin where Leslie's aunt lives. This is the same man who has another property out in kind of the hill country, like a couple hours from Austin with these like beautiful kind of desert landscape and you can, the stars are so pretty out there. And yeah, I mean, Leslie, just want to chat with her about what a future could look like where maybe we had a little piece of that because we just love it so much out there and we want to kind of keep the family traditions going where people come out there. So she's got a ton of acreage out there and we just kind of want to pick her brain about maybe acquiring like five or 10 acres of that just to have as our own little slice of it. Love that. So yeah, back to the wedding reception. So I was fully prepared for something to go wrong. I think I mentioned in last week's intro, I'm like, I just know something's going to happen. So I'm just going to mentally be prepared for it. So I'm not super upset on the day of, and dude, nothing went wrong. Like, I don't know from your perspective, but Food was out on time. It was amazing. Everyone was having a good time. No one was like over the top, too drunk. Family and friends were making friends. And it was just awesome to see. Like Lauren and I had the time of our lives. Thank you guys for flying up, Justin, and to James and Emily as well. You guys were out of staters who came in to, to Logan the day before and luckily made it up. And it all went well, dude. So honestly, I was surprised. I was super happy that it all went well. Like one of the things we'd been practicing our dance like 50 times, myself and Lauren, and she had this long flowy dress and in a couple of our rehearsals, like I had stepped on it by accident and like she almost tripped. We didn't actually fall in our living room, but I was fully expecting like the nerves to get to us and we'd just eat it on the dance floor. Didn't happen. Dance went smooth. Speeches went smooth. Like food went smooth. I was also really nervous about food waste and a lot of the food got eaten, which was great because people were drinking all night. They needed to fuel that body up with some food. So <laughs> even though we had food coming like hour after hour after hour, it 
mostly got eaten because I'm I'm someone who hates food waste. I'm such a clean plate clubber. But yeah, man, it was uh it was awesome. And also for the listeners who've been hearing a lot about my wedding and rip dip, that was part of the uh the wedding gift he gave to me. The Sunday we get back, so where our wedding reception was on Saturday, we're like, oh, you know, I'm so full. Like we ate so we ate like crap yesterday, ate so much. Well, let's just have something easy for dinner. We end up polishing just like one of the tubs of rip dip that you gifted to <laughs> us for Sunday night dinner. I was like, they're clean calories, it's protein. We ate with strawberries as you had recommended, and life changing, dude. So I'm definitely gonna be on your out of state shipping schedule for rip dip in the future. Well, I'm glad you enjoyed it. And I definitely had a good time at the wedding. And me and Leslie were actually kind of talking about like how much kind of we respected the layout of the wedding that kept people from getting too drunk, right? Like the drink stations, there was a couple of them, but it meant like there's a little bit of a line which kind of helped slow things down. And there was a lot of food that came out in periodic shifts because I got a sneaking suspicion that some folks in that crew like to get rowdy. So um, (laughs) it was actually handled really well where no one was getting too saucy. Appreciate it. I should be a wedding planner and some future side hustle version of myself. (laughs) All right. But this is perfect because we have James and Emily on who you spent a lot of the night with at the dinner table this past weekend, which is super cool to kind of bring things full circle because this original interview aired in the beginning of 2019. So over four and a half years ago. And it's crazy to see where they're at today. We're not going to get into their today story. That's for another episode in the future. But to be able to listen back and to know them now, it's crazy. And I mean, the story is still insane because a lot of people will be like gunning for 10, 15, 20 years to financial independence. James and Emily were people who just got this idea. Well, James got the idea first. You'll hear in the story. He didn't go about selling the idea to Emily in the best way, but they just went like 100% cutting everything, changing their lifestyle, and ended up hitting financial independence in less than two years after making that first step. So I always love the story. It's an episode I share so, so frequently. It's one of our most downloaded episodes, but I know we have so many more listeners than we had back then. I think back then we had like maybe a few hundred, two or 300 listeners to every episode, and now we have thousands, sometimes tens of thousands for a specific episode. So I'm excited for all the listeners to get to hear this one. And it's an episode that you can listen to today and things haven't changed. There's still so many awesome takeaways. The other cool thing is like how much of like good friends we've all become. So we all met each other in the same place, like me and Cody, me, James and Emily, like we all met in Arkansas at this campfire that we all kind of randomly ended up at. Like none of us are from there, but we just kind of all ended up there and hit it off and become great friends. And it's a great story and it's a, a great group of people that it happened to. And the other thing that I love about it is not only is it insanely fast, but you've got two people who neither one made like insane salaries. Like Emily made a, a solid salary, but James' salary was never six figures. I'm not even sure if Emily's was. It was probably close, but it was very like reasonable setup, right? Like this is not people who came from money, got some kind of inheritance, had some kind of crazy salary or like bought Bitcoin at the bottom. Like this is not a story like that. This is something that is very real and something that I think people can really relate to, like when they're listening to it and thinking like, oh, this could be me. So those are always my favorite kind of episodes because it's always fun to listen to some kind of, you know, really wild story where like someone got some big lucky break. But at the end of the day, you know, those are hard to repeat or hard to relate with. And I think this one is one that people can see and see themselves in this story. As you can tell, we're a big fan of James and Emily and their story. We hope you are too. If you want to find out more information from them or you want to share this episode with someone, you can do that at thefyshow.com slash James and Emily. That's thefyshow.com slash J-A-M-E-S-A-N-D-E-M-I-L-Y. Take it away, James and Emily. 
My dad, he supported the family. My mom wasn't able to work. She had MS, or she still has MS. So my dad supported the family. We have always been on a budget. They followed Dave Ramsey. So they try to teach us, you know, obviously that credit card debt is bad. Any kind of debt is bad. They've always been frugal, but not cheap. You know, used cars, hand-me-down. I got hand-me-down clothes, not getting, you know, new frivolous things. So that's kind of been my background. So I'm not, I feel like whenever I got on my own, that kind of stuff didn't stick. Because I would, you know, make money and then I would immediately spend it on shopping online, getting clothes, shoes, Stuff like that. So my backstory in finance is that I have zero backstory in finance. (laughs) I grew up in a family where we didn't have any money to speak of practically. On a very serious sense, we didn't have any money to throw around. So you couldn't misspend it, essentially. And we would buy used everything. I mean, like thrift store for clothes. I was getting hand-me-downs from cousins and friends at school had cars repossessed and broke down and all that kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, growing up, there was no debt to speak of because, like, credit cards were the devil. Debt was the devil because you didn't have enough money to pay for the debts that you... You didn't have enough money to pay for the things that you already had, much less any debt that you tried to take on with credit cards or anything like that. And so I grew up in the mindset. It wasn't Dave Ramsey preaching, you know, to keep money in envelopes. It was have any money in your any account at the end of the month and you would be okay as long as you didn't have a credit card and have debt. Okay, so now we got a pretty good lay of the land of kind of how you were raised and brought up. But what about this kind of middle ground between then and obviously you guys figured it out at some point, but what was it like graduating high school, going into college? Did you both get degrees? What kind of careers were you looking into? Just walk us through the rest of your start. So we actually met at the community college, which was one of our easiest ways of keeping costs low. I had a ton of financial aid from FAFSA just because my family's income was so low that that practically paid for all my schooling at the community college. And, you know, I didn't really take it very seriously. I, you know, would go to class and I changed my major like four times in community college. Right. And I didn't really know what I wanted to be. I didn't know what I wanted to do. And at some points, even now, I still don't. But we actually met in a class, in a math class that I actually dropped, which makes sense because I wasn't taking anything very seriously at that point in my life. And I actually didn't graduate then. I ended up taking a couple years off and then I went to another university. And then I realized that I already had enough credits for my associate's degree So I actually graduated with my associate's degree in uh, business administration. So that's what I'm doing with everything that we have now is because or not necessarily everything, but like my job and, you know, all of my things are just from an associate's degree. It's not like I have some, you know, master's or bachelor's or doctorate degree. My qualifications are that I have an associate's degree and I have a background in health because I took some nursing classes that, again, I changed my major from. So that's that's kind of where I come from. I tried to apply for scholarships and financial aid and stuff like that, but my dad always made too much money for FAFSA or anything like that. But that doesn't take into account that I never saw that money. You know, it's not like, you know, we had a bunch of extra money laying around and stuff like that. But my parents helped me out paying for my first two years at community college with the expectation that I would pay for my last two years, but it ended up being three years. But I I was able to pay for that out of pocket. Well, with a little bit of help from, from James, too. 
So, I mean, we both came out of school debt-free. And from there, you know, we got full-time jobs. Never did get new cars or anything like my family would like for me to have. So, I'm still driving my beater from when I was 16 years old. But I never did go and get higher education, even though that's kind of been in my field. It's kind of, if you want to get anywhere or, you know, move up in the company, you kind of have to have a higher education. But... And what is your field? Systems engineering. So like at the, I mean, I guess any kind of engineering, if you want to like, you know, make more money, move higher up in a timely fashion, you kind of have to, you know, get higher education. Well, don't say higher education. Well, like that's, that okay. makes it sound like it's college. Well, like it's a, it's a master's degree, a doctorate. Master's degree. doctorate. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. And just running with that same topic. So when you do graduate, what are you both earning? And then what did it look like? Because it sounds like, Neither one of you had access to much money. So I can imagine from my own experience what that's like when you first graduate and you get your hands on some money. So how much money did you have your hands on after graduation? And then what were you doing with it? So I was making $60,000 a year starting out. Yeah. And I was making 35000 whopping $35,000 a year. So combined almost a hundred k which yeah. we thought was we were rolling in the dough. We were rolling in the money. <laughs> yeah. But at the same time. It wasn't accumulating at all because we were blowing through the dough quicker than we were rolling in it. We thought we were doing good just having $1,000 in the bank account, much right. less, you know, an emergency fund was never a priority. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't even something we spoke about. And this is, this is in red, uh, like, and to put this in perspective, we live in like one of the lowest cost of living metros in the country. Like it's the best place to live if you want high pay with a low cost of living just due to all the engineers that we have and things like that. And so uh, for us to not have anything, it means we were really trying hard to not have anything. <laughs> and so knowing you guys now, I mean, you're spending what, 95, call it 70 grand take-home pay between the two of you. What in the world were you spending 70 grand on straight out of college? Did you give us a breakdown of your expenses? Going out to eat? Yeah, we, <laughs> we bought a fancy condo. And I think that that was probably the biggest one. You know, everybody says like the worry about the big three. And we did. We bought like a really expensive one bedroom, one and a half bath condo. You know, it had an astronomical HOA. And I think HOA and mortgage and all together was like fifteen hundred, a little 14, over 15. a little over fifteen hundred dollars a month, which in our area was like really high. And then we would go out to eat because we lived in this fancy condo. It was right above a bunch of restaurants. And so we would go out to eat and then like. Literally any way that you can think of wasting money, that is what we did. Like we bought <laughs> track spikes to start running. We bought a kickball for me to practice for a like a work league like kickball team. I went and bought a kickball so that I could practice. Like it was the it was like things like that. Like that's how competitive he is. Well, that too, yeah. But like money would just come in and go right back out. Just any way that we could think of that we thought it would be useful, we would just get rid of it as quickly as it came in. And let me just, just for the record, right, you are in Huntsville, Alabama? That's correct, yeah. We are. Okay. And so, like you said, it's kind of a lower cost of living area, but you are spending $70,000 a year. I would like to ask, you know, were you happy, A? Like, did you feel like, because uh, I imagine if you were, would it not be hard to kind of ever stop spending money that way? And then how in the world did you come across something that made you kind of stop in your tracks and, and change paths? I feel like we were happy. I would say we weren't unhappy. We just weren't intentional. We didn't know how happy we are now, having found all of this. Does that make sense? Yeah. In retrospect, like 
we're we're much happier now living within our means than we were being stressed about I mean, I wasted money on a kickball and track spikes. Am I going to be able to buy this this month? You know, like whatever, whatever X is, you know, whether or not it was paying the mortgage or whether or not it was going out for another meal or buying tires for a car or whatever it was. So, I mean, we were happy just in the lifestyle that we were living because we just didn't know another way. And so what was the introduction to this different kind of lifestyle? Like, did you just stumble on a blog or you saw something on TV or you listened to a podcast? What was like that light bulb moment that made you say, wow, there's another way that we can do this and we could retire in what, five years from now? <laughs> it's a pretty short timeline. Yeah. So it was, uh, it was three years ago and it was in July of 2015, 16, sorry. Yeah. July. It was in July of 2016. And I was at work at a physical therapy company that I work for. And there was a patient there who was just talking, having a conversation with her therapist. And she had said, you know, if I had found out about this blog 10 years ago, my husband and I would be retired right now. And I heard that and that really piqued my interest. And so that blog was Mr. My Mustache. And so I started talking to her about it. And, you know, to this day, she's one of our biggest fans, and we genuinely owe all of our success to her because she is the reason that we found out about this when we did, and it just happened to be that we were in the right mindset at the time, that we were open to new ideas. We had just gotten married. We hadn't, you know, started out. We were starting out at pretty much ground level. Like, it wasn't like we were starting out 10 steps behind because we had all this debt and things like that, that we could say, you know, oh, that might work for them, that might work for them, you know, and have all these limiting beliefs. So it just so happened that it came at the perfect time for us. I feel like we also weren't set in a certain lifestyle, too. You know, we were still newlyweds. We hadn't found our groove, I guess. Mm -hmm. So we were still trying to learn to live together and, you know, like share everything. And even though you weren't really submitted, maybe in a certain kind of lifestyle, that's still going to be a, a radical change of spending, you know, whether it is upwards of 70000 to bringing that way back. So when you first discovered this, what was that transition like? And, it, and James, you discovered this. So what was it like, you know, kind of translating that to Emily? Yeah, that's uh, I didn't come across as well as I should have. Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately, it's just the way that my personality is. I'm 100% in something or not. And so this was something that I was 100% in. So, you know, one day she comes home from work and... I've already gone in and fiddled with the hot water heater and cut the temperature down on it. <laughs> I've cut the air conditioner to a lower setting so that it's not working as hard. I've done like so many things already to the house, just little things that I could do that I stumbled across while I was reading across the blog. And it was something that I could take action on right then. And she came home and I was like, listen, we're not going out to eat anymore. You're not going shopping anymore. Like you're done. Cut up everything, all your cards, give me your purse, <laughs> like you're done. That's it. Like, and, uh, actually that went over terribly. So I had to take a step back and realize, you know, obviously I need her support on this. Like we both need to be on the same page. And so I started doing things, took it back a step to where I wasn't constantly trying to pressure her into not spend money. And I started trying to lead by example, which was biking to work when we've got three cars and <laughs> different things like that. Just cutting expenses, eating less, not wanting to go out to eat as much, you know, not buying a kickball every time I need to or something like that. Any any expense that would come up, I would try to rationalize a way that we could work around it without doing it. And so I think that by doing that, it might have gotten her a little more invested at that point. Well, and also for me... I have to take a little bit to warm up to an idea. You know, at first I could be like, no, absolutely not. But then I like, 
I have to go into my own head and like think about things and, you know, kind of look at it from my perspective, I guess, and kind of think about it and come to my own conclusion that way. So I want to preface my next question with just a quick question. So in 2016, you discovered financial independence or at least Mr. Money Mustache. What did you cut your spending down to, like, say, the following year? That's a good question, because at that point, we were still in our condo, and we don't have the extensive spreadsheet keeping that Justin has. <laughs> so I would probably say we went from, you know, spending 70 or 80 grand a year to maybe spending 35 or 40, maybe cutting that about in half. And obviously, since then, we've we've cut it even more than that. I wanted to preface this next question with that, because something that I struggle with is just like, I'm sure you are living differently than most people in your age demographic. For some context, James is, what, 28 and Emily is 27? Is that right? <laughs> yes, that's okay, correct. Okay, so I, I can imagine you're living a lot differently than a lot of other people in your age demographic. If people are just starting to make real good money, they're 27, 28, maybe they've got their first promotion. Has it been difficult keeping the same friends and hanging out and doing normal stuff? Do you feel like you're depriving yourself and not being able to do things that, quote unquote, normal people are doing? Yes and no. I feel like it is hard to find friends. And I guess we don't really, in a way, have the same friends. But it's also, you know, they have moved up to different cities. And they, you know, are married, have kids, or, you know, it's just hard to see them, you know, very often. But I also feel like it's family, I guess. It's just hard to to hang out with certain people when you don't have the same interests, too. So, I mean, they're interest could be shopping or going out to eat and stuff like that. But we, it's hard to have a conversation whenever you don't share those same interests. And the only way that you can spend time with them is by going out to eat or shopping or something like that. And we, you know, hard to find the common ground. I think it's also easy to, to look at it as, okay, we're growing apart from these people because of X, which would be X in this case would be financial independence, right? Because we are focusing on saving money, we are not hanging out with these people as much or these people as much. But a lot of these people don't live near us anymore. And so we just kind of, it's just a natural progression, I think. And it's easy to say that it's because of financial independence. But even before we were trying to pursue financial independence, some of these people we didn't see very often. And so it's easy now to say like, okay, well, you know, because honestly, at this point, the only thing that we would have in common is that you know, we would spend money on meals at restaurants. And if that's the only thing you have in common, then there's not really a whole lot that you can connect on. And so by eliminating going out to eat and using that as the the catalyst for a conversation with these people, then, you know, you're just naturally going to grow apart anyway. I think that's a really good point and something that a lot of people in this space can struggle with. I mean, I know for me, the people around me, they've gotten to know who I am and they know what my deal is. And they know if, Hey, if I go sit down at a restaurant just to conversate with them, but I don't eat, like it's not being weird. That's just, that's just my shtick. You know, that's what I do. <laughs> but once you get to a certain point, right, where you've cut back your expenses as much as you possibly can, your income is what it is. What did you look to next to try to accelerate that path towards financial independence? Cause I know you said you're either a hundred percent in or hundred percent out and it sounded like you're hundred percent in. So what was the next thing you looked towards? We'll be right back after a quick word from one of our sponsors. Today's sponsor is one I use on a daily basis at my company, Gold City Ventures. That is the sound of a sale in your Shopify store. But did you know that Shopify now also powers in-person selling? Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store or small business. Accept payments, manage inventory, they have everything. 
Shopify brings together your in-person and online sales business into one source of truth, one dashboard, everything in one place. You know exactly what's going on. And now they have all these customization options. They have plug and play tools that you can integrate with Instagram or TikTok or wherever. You can take your payments by phone or by tablet. Shopify makes it easy. Plus, if you have any questions, their support team is there to help you. I know we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this audience and Shopify POS just breaks down that barrier to accepting payments with your business. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash show, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash show to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash show. Now back to the show. So we looked into investing in real estate to accelerate our path to financial independence. James being his personality went headfirst and did all the research that he could on investing in our market and I don't know all the real estate blogs that are out there what we needed to look for when it comes to the one percent rule and renting and buying and I don't know just a whole nine yards all right Emily so James goes all in I mean what are the next steps does he literally just go out and <laughs> is James this hardcore that he goes out and he's like hey babe I bought a house yesterday or what was that kind of whole process like like <laughs> did you guys both look at houses together at auctions or did you go on the MLS or on websites like Zillow? Like, what was the actual process like of getting that first property? So, I guess technically our first property would be the condo after our extravagant loft. And so, actually wasn't on the market. It was one of the make me move listings on Zillow. We found it and had gone back and forth with the realtor because it was listed for rent at first. And then she took it down. It was listed as a make me move and then she took it down and listed it for rent and then we came in with a lower offer because she was obviously motivated because the tenant had turned in their notice. Okay. So it, this condo was a fourth of the price of our loft and I guess half the size. It was kind of the same, you know, one bed, one bath, kitchen, living room, everything, but it was just downsized. So it was kind of a a big decision to go move from, you know, this big loft in a, you know, a nice trendy part of town to this condo that, you know, is just down the street, but a fourth of the price. And so from there, we lived in there for about a month and I got an offer to go on a temporary assignment to St. Louis. So yeah, the, the process, it looked like me assessing every deal that came on the market and after assessing so many deals and, you know, figuring out this one looks good, that one looks good, whatever, I started bringing those deals to Emily for her final approval, essentially, right? I would find the deals and then depending on how good I thought the deal was, depending on how hard I kind of pressed it to her or, you know, I would essentially show her like, hey, what do you think of this place? And she'd be like, oh, I think it's okay. And so then I would kind of move on to the next one, that kind of thing. Well, so especially at the beginning, we were looking at all the properties together. Now... I would get her input and then I would say like, okay, well, I think we should offer this much. And mm -hmm. she would agree, but it was always after her approval on which place, like if she thought that the place was decent, I would explain the criteria. And at the same time, because I am head in, sometimes there are blind spots, right? Like I overlook things that I might not should in an eagerness to, to get a place. And so Emily will, you know, bring up like some criticisms of it and, it's very helpful for me because I'm like, okay, yeah, I didn't think about that. That's shit. So we need to go on to the next one, that kind of thing. <laughs> so it's been, it's been really useful. And so we look at all the places essentially together. There have been a couple places that 
I looked at first or like she looked at. And then we end up looking at them together before we actually close on it, that kind of thing. But yeah, I essentially bring the deals to her and then suggest what we should offer. And then we run the numbers on it together. I explain what we think we could cash flow, that kind of thing. And we make a decision from there. It's funny because I'll try to look at listings on the market and I'll think that one's a good deal and I'll send it to him. He's like, oh, yeah, I looked at that. And it's, you know, it's not it's not worth it. (laughs) (laughs) So I know from y'all's story that it didn't just end with that first condo that y'all kind of kept the train rolling. So I was wondering if you could walk me through, did you ever find kind of a, a stride where you're getting similar type houses that maybe need the same kind of work that are around the same price point? Like, did you find your happy place on the houses you're buying? Absolutely. So at the beginning, especially, we were just like essentially looking at Zillow and I would price them from low to high or on the MLS, I would price them from low to high and just to get a feel for what was on there. And then after a point, I had seen every deal that was on there. So I just started looking at them newest first. And so, you know, a deal would pop up and I would check it out. And at the beginning, especially, it was just like price was a big motivator. And so, you know, we are looking at lower price places. So we found four properties for under 50000 a piece. And three of those were duplexes. So that put us at seven properties for under fifty grand a piece, which is a pretty good deal. And we look for them in a certain area. And we, we kind of have an idea of this area is kind of gentrifying or this area is in the path of growth or this just happens to be the cheapest condo in an area that is, that's overrun by single family homes, but it's in a good school district and things like that. So it's not necessarily for a family, but it's for people that want to live in a nicer area, that kind of thing that might not be as big of a market for, you know, a single or two people because they're looking for a house to grow into in a good school district, that kind of thing. So that's really our bread and butter is buying lower price places that are multi-unit and that we can do a little bit of value add to just by painting some things and different stuff like that. I was going to say a little bit of value add because for people who don't know, I stayed with James and Emily probably like three or four weeks ago now. And these guys like did up a house in what, like two weeks? (laughs) Like you did all the flooring when we were over there, Emily was painting the entire kitchen. Like you guys are just a well-oiled machine at this point. <laughs> I'm sure you've definitely progressed since that first property. So is that pretty much kind of the whole thing? You redo the floors, like redo the bathroom, do some painting, and then the property will probably appreciate by what, like twenty, thirty thousand dollars. Yeah, to give you an idea, like we we usually go in and paint kitchens because that's an easy thing to do. We paint the cabinets and you know take them from like an older looking wood to like a, a newer modern looking you know, charcoal or whatever the color may be. And we usually paint the interior of all the places the same color to keep it uniform. And also it's much easier when we have to go in and touch up a place. So it just so happened that like we picked up like one of those oops colors that they've pre-mixed at Home Depot and they had it in a five gallon bucket and I negotiated them down to, it was, it started out at $156 and I ended up paying like 30 something dollars for this five gallon jug. And so that's how we determined (laughs) what color we were going to paint all our duplex or all our properties. (laughs) And we just go in and essentially it depends on each property. Like we kind of assess it from there. Usually we do the kitchens, the cabinets. That's an easy thing to do that doesn't take a whole lot of time that really increases the curb appeal. The curb appeal is really what we're interested in. Some places, you know, if they've got really bad carpets, then we'll pull it up and replace it with, you know, luxury vinyl planks or even new carpet if the floors are bad enough. But yeah, that's that's essentially what we do. It's really, it's not a whole lot of structural stuff. All the kitchens stay in the same places, all the bathroom, all the appliances stay in the same places. And we just go in and try to paint because it's amazing what, you know, a little bit of paint will do and some flooring will do for some cover peel. Awesome. And just to give us like a frame of reference, 
How much time was between when you bought your first place to when you bought your last? And then how many units is that total? So this weekend, two years ago this weekend, was when we bought our first duplex. Just under two years. Yeah, it's been just under two years for us to get 11 units. (laughs) Wow. So just under two years to get 11 units. How are you paying for these things? Like, how are you financing them? So we're actually going through a traditional mortgage lender. When we first went with this lender, we let her know that we were going to be investing in multiple properties and obviously getting more than one mortgage. And so she kind of took that and ran with it and tried to work with us in trying to find, you know, run my credit, run James's credit, see who gets the best interest rates, you know, put so many in my name, put so many in James's name, stuff like that. So we're just doing traditional mortgages. Yeah. Yeah, we, we pretty much told her at the beginning that we wanted to buy, you know, 10 or more. And so at that point, she, she obviously knows the lending criteria. And after five, it gets pretty stringent. And so she would strategically put one in my name and then one in Emily's name and then one in my name. Or, you know, Emily got two in a row, that kind of thing. It just depended on how our credit recovered, who could get the better interest rate, what they thought would go through underwriting quicker. That's the way that we've been financing all of them. All of them have mortgages right now. Even though they're such low price properties, we've managed to find places that'll give you a mortgage for under for around thirty or thirty five thousand since we're putting down payments on all these places. So that's that's been a pretty good thing for us. So if you're putting down ten, fifteen thousand dollars on each of these houses as a down payment, are you doing anything else other than real estate? Are you hundred percent real estate? Like are you taking any money and investing in four one Ks, IRAs? Yeah, so we max out 401k, and then we max out IRA, and then anything left over from that, that's what we pour into real estate. Now, with that being said, we're not maxing out both of our 401ks. Emily's 401k is getting maxed out, and then we're maxing out both of our IRAs, and then anything after that is getting put into real estate. Yeah, you know, just the extra scraps into your 11 properties in two years. (laughs) (laughs) So we have a lot of finance nerds, myself included, listening to the Fi show. Could we just get into the numbers a little bit? Like, what is the net cash flow looking like on these real estate properties? And at what point was that net cash flow actually covering your expenses? Because we didn't even get to what you spend now. I know the year after you said you're like down to 35 or 40, but now you're spending what? So we're probably, I think if we like get down to the nitty gritty, we're around 12 grand or under. I actually think it's under 12 grand, but Emily seems to think that. No, I was going to say not counting the money that we have to put into our properties. Right. Okay. So not counting any investments into real estate, you know, anything like that, because those are kind of their own animal. We're spending less than, I think we're probably at 10 grand a year. So to give you an idea of what that $10,000 looks like, we live for free. We live in a mother-in-law suite of in a single family home that we bought. And so our tenants buy their rent, pay for, I mean, all of our living expenses. They cover the mortgage, the utilities, the internet, literally everything. So we're living for free and we don't eat out very much. We spend $40 a week on groceries. We travel hack. So we use credit card points. And so some people are probably wondering, how do you travel hack with credit cards and hit the minimum spend bonuses? We end up using a lot of the real estate purchases, different things like that to maximize those points. And so we travel for free. We don't spend a lot of money on food. We both drive really old vehicles. We bought a 2007 Nissan Versa two years ago, a little over, or yeah, right at two years ago now. And we bought it for $2,000. And 
that's a story that we really haven't told a whole lot of is that we ended up buying a, after we got married, we ended up buying a Volkswagen Golf TDI. And it was one of the ones that got recalled with Dieselgate. So once Dieselgate got announced, all the prices just plummeted on TDIs and all Volkswagens really. So we ended up buying one before they announced what the recall and what their resolution was going to be. So we bought it for $9,000 and we ended up selling it back to Volkswagen a little over a year later for (laughs) $23,000. So that was, and then once we sold it back to Volkswagen, we ended up taking 2000 of that and buying this Nissan Versa. And so Emily drives a 97 Camry. I drive a 07 Versa that we got for two grand. And we really don't spend that much. There's not a whole lot of discretionary spending. We eat out occasionally. We eat out with friends mostly. We don't really go out by ourselves. We prefer, you know, a night in to a night out. We work on the rental properties together. We do a lot of things together. We bike and stuff like that. But a lot of our spending isn't for happiness. It's for necessities. The rental properties surpassed our spending because our spending is so low pretty quickly. It only took seven or eight properties to really surpass what we were what we were spending. And the last few that we've gotten have been kind of higher income properties, higher price, higher income. And so now we're more than double, more than triple actually what we spend in a year off of our real estate income. So we are the cheapest fat fi you've ever heard of. So if you're at triple what you need coming in, you know, it sounds like you're probably at a good place to go do whatever you want to do. So what does the future look like? I mean, how many properties is enough properties and and just what does the the road look like going forward? So we think that 10 is really the the number. We've got 11 now. So we're actually ended up, we've listed a property. So to be the quick accumulators, now we're trying to sell off one of them that's just got the highest interest rate. It's the lowest cash flow and it's the highest mortgage amount. And so we're actually selling that one off, just kind of paring down, getting down to what we really think that we need. Plus, we're going to net a little bit of money off of it because the market's so hot right now. So our end goal actually is to move to Cyprus later this year, which is a little island in the Mediterranean. And actually, we're going to continue to live in a mother-in-law there because Emily's grandparents have a house there. And she just got her EU citizenship and I've applied for mine. And so we're going to rent the mother-in-law apartment from her grandparents and we're going to renovate it a little bit, fix it up with some of our newfound skills in real estate and renovations and things like that. And so that's going to be, that's going to be keeping us occupied for hopefully the rest of the year after September. And so does that mean you're both quitting your jobs in September? Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) I think a little before September, hopefully. (laughs) One of the few places where people cheer when you're 27 and 28 saying yes, you're quitting seriously. your job forever right. <laughs> is on this podcast. The rest of, our, the, rest of uh, the people we know are like super worried about it, obviously. I haven't really told my family that much. They know, but Emily's family are very much in it because they're trying to help us coordinate the move to mm-hmm. Cyprus and things like that. And so to them, they just they don't really understand it. I don't think that they've kind of, um, yeah, they don't understand it because... One, they don't understand quitting this early, but they also, it's almost like they think of it as a pipe dream. Sometimes it feels like that to me too. I mean, admittedly, if you have no idea about FI and you haven't really prioritized finance and your 27-year-old daughter comes up to you and says, hey, we've got a couple rental properties and me and my husband, who has convinced me to do this, are going to quit our jobs and move abroad, (laughs) right? Like you would think that they're, you know, it's one of those things like, okay, she's got some far-fetched idea again, you know, so I can understand the the skepticism, especially if you don't understand the math behind it. And it's not hard to understand, but you, you still have to be an open mind or you still have to have an open mind when you're 
learning about it to really grasp that it, that it can happen. And speaking of the math behind it, do you think that this extremely low level of spending that you have now in Huntsville, Alabama is going to translate when you move to this you know, little island in the Mediterranean? I think it will. I think that our costs will be a lot lower since we're, you know, going to rent out our mother-in-law suite that we live in now. I don't think that we're going to be so cheap that we won't go and eat out or go get coffee by the beach or, you know, stuff like that. We are planning to buy a car while we're over there, help out where we can. We're also paying rent to my grandparents, which isn't very much, but... Yeah, we projected our spending and it actually comes out like not counting you know, buying a car and renovating the house, which to us isn't going to cost that much anyway, because we're going to do a lot of the DIY stuff and we're going to buy an old used car just like we normally do. So we project our spending and it's still right at 12000 a year, a little bit over. And that's even with some discretionary like meals out and a bunch of coffee out. And, you know, we're still planning on traveling and different things like that. And so we're we're trying to factor some of that in. But a lot of costs there are actually a lot lower. So I know one thing that the early retirement police might come after you is, hey, you guys are 27, 28 years old. Obviously, you're both grinding right now, both working full-time jobs. In your spare time for fun, you go and renovate real estate properties for extra money. What does life look like in terms of like the things you're going to do to actually fill your time? I know we've literally just touched on like just a sliver of your story. I know you both have done powerlifting together. James, you've done bodybuilding. Emily's a fantastic cook. You both bike together. You both do all this fun stuff. What does life look like in Cyprus? Or maybe you'll move back to these states at some point. But I just love to kind of hear what that looks like. So the early retirement police are going to absolutely hate me <laughs> just because I'm so motivated that, you know, once I once I get something done, I kind of move on to the next thing. And, you know, if, at first that's going to be renovating the apartment for us to have clean, you know, stable place to live in without any issues. But then after that, you know, I'm going to move on to whatever piques my interest next, whether or not that's setting up some kind of tour abroad or whether or not, you know, I'm going to offer some kind of course or, you know, do personal training in my spare time because I enjoy fitness and things like that. And Emily, obviously, she has her own hobbies and interests as well as the ones that we share. So there's not a scenario where we see ourselves just sitting back on the couch and watching Netflix or just... I mean, there are days that we might just spend the whole day at the beach, that kind of thing. But at the same time, like we don't foresee ourselves not doing anything in the future. Now, that doesn't mean that we're trying to seek out ways to make money, but there are ways that you can enjoy yourself and make money at the same time. So if that's if that's something that you're passionate about, then why not do that? I Speaking of me being a good cook, <laughs> I would like to utilize my time over there with my grandparents. My grandmother is an amazing cook and I would like to learn all of her, the traditional Cypriot recipes, you know, kind of take notes of those and have recipes. Cause I mean, my dad knows the recipes, but he also like, he doesn't write them down. It's just like, Oh, you put a little bit of this and that in there <laughs> kind of thing. So it would be nice to learn from her and be able to like recreate those, but also to kind of, you know, hear their stories too, I guess. But we also, want to learn Greek whenever we get over there. Some of the universities over there offer free Greek classes to people. We also want to tour the island. Whenever we go over there, it's a lot of visiting family. We don't really get to explore and drive around and stuff like that. So we like to do that and travel around Europe, travel to Portugal, Malta, the cheaper places <laughs> at first. <laughs> And if you're going to be, you know, renovating the place you're living in, you're learning the language, it sounds kind of like you're getting somewhat entrenched in that area. So 
Is that someplace where y'all are thinking is going to be home for a very long time, or do you have a an end date on this trip? At least long enough for Cody to come stay. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm kidding. You're kidding. Um, we. Well, no, no, no. That's not. That's not the. He end. meant both of yeah, us. He exactly. Meant both yeah, of yeah. That was the joke. We don't. We don't have a set date in mind. We plan on moving there later this year, but. We're kind of taking it by ear once we get there because we don't know what the future holds for us. We don't know whether or not we're going to have kids, whether or not, you know, any of these things that, you know, may happen or may come up. So we're just planning on going over there, enjoying ourselves for the first couple of years, maybe. And if if it's somewhere that we can see ourselves forever, then we might just stay over there and travel, you know, over here to visit family and things like that. Or there might be a point in the future where we want to move back. So we, we really just don't know. It's hard to make a decision for your future self when you're going to be so different when you get there. You know what I mean? Absolutely. All right. One last question I wanted to ask before we wrap this thing up is, do you suggest real estate is like the best path to financial independence? Is it for everyone or is it kind of a situation by situation type of thing? So I think real estate is for everyone. I don't think that everyone should manage real estate. I think that there's a big difference there. Now, some people just don't want to be involved in real estate in any way, shape or form. So REITs and different things like that, you know, offering the hard money lending, like doing fundraise or different stuff like that. That's an easy way to diversify yourself into real estate without having to worry about a tenant calling you and their, you know, toilet stopped up or something like that, which I'll tell you has never happened. Everybody talks about how, you know, they're going to get a call at 2 a.m. over a stopped up toilet and it hasn't happened yet. Granted, we've only been managing for two years, so we'll see. But with that being said, I do think that real estate can be the fastest path to FI. It can really magnify it because you can use leverage and things like that and still cash flow the whole time. So you're not only making money on the cash flow itself, but they're also paying down the mortgage. And so you're you're kind of hedging your bet that way. But there is more risk involved. So it's it's definitely more risky than just plugging away at your index fund. But our goal was to get there as quick as possible without obviously living under a bridge or anything like that. There were some compromises that had to be made on my part that we weren't living in the back of a van or something like that to get there as quick as possible. But I do think that real estate can be useful for everyone because it doesn't necessarily correlate with the real estate market. So if you're worried about a stock market drop, then maybe the real estate will help. But right now, both are at all-time highs, so everybody's worried about both of them. So I can't really help you there. Well, even though it's increased risk, it has clearly worked for you. I've never heard on anyone retiring in their 401k or with an index fund in two years. You guys hit the Usain Bolt path to FI two years or less. (laughs) If people want to follow up with you, maybe learn more about you, your story, connect with you, where's the best place that they can do that? It would probably be at our blog, rethinktheratrace.com. We're also on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Pinterest, the whole nine yards. (laughs) All the socials. All the socials. (laughs) All right. And one question that we always ask every guest is just what is the one tangible tip that you have for somebody who's, you know, going towards that path of financial independence? I'd say don't compare yourself to others. Comparison is the thief of joy. So, you know, if you compare yourself to others, you know, you're always going to be trying to keep up with the latest fashion trends, the nicest car, the nicest hair, you know, whatever it may be. So I just... Don't compare yourself to others. My one tangible tip for people that are getting started on the path to FI is you have to start somewhere, right? Whether or not you want to jump in in real estate, whether or not you haven't even started your 401k, whether or not you haven't saved anything or started a budget, just start and track your spending. I think that tracking your spending is probably the most important thing to know where the money's going. If you don't know where it's going, then that's probably your biggest problem right now. 
is that it's seeping out of holes that you can't fill and you don't know where they are. That's the problem, right? At least once you track your spending, you can see where the holes are and start to try to plug them there. Thank you again for taking the time to listen to another episode of The Fi Show. If you enjoyed this episode and want to support us, the best way to do that is to leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts, share this with a friend, and also don't forget, you can find 200 plus episodes and all the information you'd ever want to have about these episodes over at thefyshow.com. Also, don't forget to hit that subscribe button because that way every Wednesday you can have our latest episode delivered straight to your phone. Until next time. Hey, real quick, before you go, I just want to remind you that I have made my personal like budget and net worth tracking spreadsheet available, the very same one that I use to track my net worth from $38,000 to over $1.2 million, available for free on our website at thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet. So you can go download that today. That's thefyshow.com slash spreadsheet.